This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm Norman Lau, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcasts.roddenberry.com for you to choose from. Science, feminism, even daily news. Boldly go and find us when you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcasts.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. Welcome back to Half Measure Podcast, the weekly podcast where we watch a bunch of things and then tell you what we thought and what we recommend. And here we are. It's Christmas Day, and I don't think many podcasts will be putting out an episode today, Dan, but um, here we are delivering one for our listeners as an extra little present for them under the tree. Merry Christmas, Dan. How are you? Merry Christmas to you as well, Paul. Now, we may take a half measure in other places around this podcast with our our fact-checking, our news-reading, our, well, particularly my pronunciation of various names, but Mm -hmm. when it comes to putting out episodes, no half measures. I feel like as well, in between Christmas and New Year's, you get that point where no one knows what day it is, no one knows what time it is, no one knows what they're doing, no one's hardly anyone's at work, so it's a perfect time to listen to the podcast. So I guess there'll be some people who might want to listen to this on Christmas Day. That makes sense. They want to listen to it around the Christmas table with their family, but for other people, it'll be something to do in between. Indeed, indeed. Look, that's the really the the ultimate part of a, a good holiday, isn't it? When you don't know what day of the week it is anymore. And you know what? If you get to the point in your holiday where you're having to put on the Half Measures podcast for your family, you know, maybe something's gone wrong or maybe something's gone right. But either way, I hope you're having a good one, no matter where you are in the world. Definitely. And I guess, Dan, we should jump straight in. So for the final time, Dan Whiting, can you please tell us, if you will, what have you been watching? All right, so I've watched a couple of movies, actually had a few visitors over the weekend, so haven't had the chance to watch the usual amount of uh, TV streaming. So the first movie that I've watched is the Netflix um, original movie, Ava, which uh, stars Jessica Chastain, who we've previously talked about on Half Measures podcast. So the basic plot of this film is Ava is a deadly assassin who works for a black ops organization traveling the globe, specializing in high profile hits. When a job goes dangerously wrong, she's forced to fight for her own survival. So as I said, stars Jessica Chastain. It's got a pretty star-studded cast. It's also got John Malkovich. Uh, it's got Common, it's got Gina Davies, it's got uh, Colin Farrell. So there's no shortage of uh, big names with this movie. It does actually score um, and review pretty poorly around the place, um, both across Metacritic, Rotten Tomato, IMDb. But, you know, overall, it was a pretty fun watch. Um, it's, it's obviously doing nothing new. It's a story which I feel like we've just seen time and time again, uh, particularly where we have a, a female assassin 
um, it all goes wrong and her, her own sort of company ends up going against her. But in saying that, look, it's it's a good watch. I know you've talked about it previously, Paul, wanting to watch this one when we were talking about Jessica Chastain, but it's a uh, Look, if you're looking for something over the Christmas break, this is one that, you know, you, you, you can't go too wrong with. It's obviously not going to probably win the top slot in your movies for 2020, but you know what? It's streaming. It's Netflix. It's a good enough time. Two guns a kimbo for me. Two guns. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I I did make a note of this when we did our peak performance for Jessica Chastain. I, um, I haven't seen much that the writer's done before. Uh, the director, uh, he's done The Help, but other than that, I've don't know anything he's done as a C from what you said the ratings are low but I'm, I'm already intrigued I still do love this type of genre even if it has been done many many times before the cast does look good I haven't seen Gina Davis in a long long time of course she was just a you know a real classic actress back in the sort of you know late 80s and early 90s Thelma and Louise and, and so on so um there's enough in here for me to to give it a go and of course you know if it's on a streaming platform that i've got why wouldn't i so um yeah disappointing that the ratings are low and yeah look i think it's a it's a safe movie to check on with um a few other friends and family around the place as well it's nothing controversial enough that's going to upset anyone uh, obviously there's a little bit of violence in there but it's a uh, as i say look it's on netflix it's a relatively easy watch and you know when you're trying to find a movie that no one's seen th- this could be it because it's, it's pretty fresh out so uh, the other movie I've watched is, now I feel like I might have talked about this on the pod before, um, but flicking back through my my spreadsheet of what I've been watching, I, I couldn't find it on there, so maybe it was pre-spreadsheet, which started in about April. This is another movie on Netflix called Masterminds, and I'll read you the description, Paul, and you tell me, because you've got a pretty good memory for these things, you're like the, um, the Jedi librarian of the pod. Thank you. A guard at an armored car company in the southern U.S. organizes one of the biggest bank heists in American history, and it's based on the October 1997 Loomis Fargo robbery. And so this movie stars um, Zach Galifianakis, Kristen Wiig, and Owen Wilson. And this is one of those kind of semi-biography, comedy, crime movies that, again, this is a real kind of like pop your brain and neutral have a couple of laughs along the way. There's there's some there's some good sort of like laugh out loud scenes. Again, it, this isn't a movie that's going to change the world for you. It's not probably going to you know it's not it's definitely not going to be the funniest movie you've ever seen. But it's also not going to be the worst movie you've ever seen. So you know, so we're basically talking about um, a bit of slapstick comedy um, from around around basically robbing some money and it's because it's based on some true events that they really sort of like stretch the uh, facts probably around what, what happens here. But again, look, it's a, it's another pretty neutral, easy watch. Great one to watch with the parents. Uh, hopefully they'll get a few laughs out of it, but that me, that's me, Paul. That's really all I've been watching apart from the things that we've, uh, we've watched together. Mm. Um. I haven't seen this one. I I like the sound of it. I love I love a good crime movie. I love a good heist movie. I love it if it's got a bit of true story in there as well. And if you're going to make it a comedy, well, looking at this cast, plus you've also got um, I see Jason Sudeikis as well. So um, and Kate McKinnon. Uh, so definitely added to added to watch list that one. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, th- I think it's you know I'd probably give this. Um, 
you know, I'd maybe even give it two and a half guns on the gimbo scale. Like just because it is, it does have a few laughs and it sort of keeps it a bit more uh, interesting and fun. And again, look, it's a, it's a lazy afternoon. You're not sure what day of the week it is. We all want to watch something, but, you know, put it on your list. Awesome. What about you, Paul? What have you been watching? Well, last week I came in with nothing because I was finishing a couple of series off. I've finished them both off, so I'll talk about them now. Queen's Gambit is the first one. Um, this is one that I'd really only heard about because of all the hype. And then I read about it and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll watch it. But that was just because I'd, I played chess as a kid. Yes, Dan, I was in the lunchtime chess club at school. It's true. I was a real, you know, out of real wild childhood. Um, I'm not sure I would have made an effort to have watched it otherwise, um, but I'm really glad that I did. So, um, and I guess the, the brief synopsis is, is um, uh, we have this 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 brilliant mastermind of a of a young girl who, for various reasons, and I'm aware that you, you're going to watch this, so I'm going to be spoiler free, um, becomes interested in the game of chess, and you just literally follow her her life through sort of. You know, from a very young age to through to sort of, I guess, twenties, and I've never seen the actress who plays the lead before in the show. Her name is Anya Taylor Joy, and I have to say that she's she's brilliant in this. Everything in the show is centered around her, and more than any other TV show I've watched recently, I feel like the success of this show probably fell squarely on one person, and she really made it. She's got like really weird social vibes, like she's really unaware of people around her at times. Uh, she's um, and then other times she's overwhelmingly direct with people and she can be really really cutting um, so um, there's a lot of good humour in it um, and yeah I, I, I feel like you, you sort of want to, her to be successful, you want her to be happy you sort of see this, um, this childhood and this traumatic life that she's had as a young person and you want her to, to be successful and um, it's really well directed as well and I think if you think about a show that's going to be about two people playing chess for a long period of time, then finding creative ways to move the camera around and finding some clever angles is, is quite important. And they really made it quite visually quite intriguing to watch. And uh, yeah, it, it's obviously got a lot of success worldwide. Diana made the comment that she really liked it, that she was surprised that the whole world had gone crazy about it. And I thought about it afterwards, and I think she's right, because other than me having played chess as a kid I, I don't know why I would have got into it it's, it is quite a slow paced thing and I like slow pace as well um she's quite a an atypical character she's she kind of reminded me a little bit of Wayne from you know Wayne on Amazon minus the violence but she's kind of got that sort of social vibe about her um but yeah there's something very unique about this and uh I would definitely recommend it for for anyone wanting to, to sort of give something a little bit different a go I think um it's had a really big impact on, I think, chess sales all around all around the world, I believe. So chess sets are a, a number one Christmas gift, I think, uh, this year because of this TV show. Um, and I'm with you. I feel like I've heard a lot of people talk about this show and a lot of people talk about binge-watching it who I wouldn't traditionally think of binge-watchers. And I wonder whether that's because of the fact it's chess, whether it's because of the um, the strong female lead, or is it because of the the mental health sort of components of the of the whole show, or is it or is it a combination of all three? Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I think it, I think it could be all three. Thinking about that, interesting enough, our eleven year old son got a chess set for for Christmas, um, purely unrelated, but that's really handy for me because I quite fancy getting back into it. Um, so, uh, 
yeah, definitely, definitely a good watch. Um, and then The Crown was the other series that I um, wanted to talk about. So season four of, of The Crown, I've, I've now watched. And this was, this was really, really good. The early seasons focus on King George VI and, and how Elizabeth, the Queen, as we know, you know, came to came to reign, and with, with Winston Churchill and many other prime ministers through the fifties and sixties. And now that we get to this season, season four, we're into the late seventies with Margaret Thatcher coming into power, and the and the eighties, and things are starting to feel a bit more modern with with people like Prince William being born. And I guess anyone who couldn't give a damn about the monarchy has possibly already tuned out of what I'm saying at this point, or may even have fast forwarded. But so the question is, why would you watch the show if, if you're not interested in the royals? And I do struggle to answer that because for me, I'm not actually bothered either way with monarchy in this modern age. I do enjoy, however, watching about them, sort of seeing how their role and their their image and their, I guess, I guess their influence has evolved over over time and how that's changed. And I think seeing uh, a show go from being something seemingly distant to then cross into something where I have my own memories of these people. I can't think of another show where I've experienced that. So this season was really, really, really satisfying. And, um, yeah, it, it really does convey the season that the royals, they do have a disturbing history. They're a very odd bunch. And I guess, you know, some of it's that definitely their fault. And I guess some of it isn't because they just have lived their lives that way and they just don't know any different. But really peculiar habits, old family rituals, very strange relationships, um, things that they think are hilarious, really aren't funny. Uh, there's the, the treatment of Princess Diana is just is horrific. And, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of things in this series that sort of make you question some of the things in the royal family, but it's just a really fascinating watch. Just to put your words, what's uh, an example of uh, some of the things that which they think are, are weird or funny that, that just don't translate? I guess, and I, I'm guessing that we won't have any really hoity-toity um, upper-class Richies listening to this, but there's just that sort of really odd humour that comes with the the particularly the British upper-class and that sort of um, very very well-to-do. They sort of they'll play a game or, or they'll they'll look down on people below them or they'll 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 just they'll just do weird behaviours and even just watching it, I was just cringing. I uh, I can't can't think of anything quite so specific at this point. Like, I'm, and I guess some of it I'm being really unfair, actually, because one of the things I just felt were awful was when uh, the princess, uh, Margaret, and uh, a gentleman caller start dancing to um, David Bowie uh, singing Let's Dance. And... I guess actually when I say it, that's a very normal thing for anyone to do. It's just, I don't know, just the way that they do it. Just They just seem so out of touch with normal people. But, hey, who am I to talk about dancing, Dan? Indeed, indeed. On this report, it's um, two great shows that you've finished off um, and two that I'm quite interested in. So I, I'm, in, I'm intrigued about both. Yeah, I'm really. I would recommend both. I think with the crown, the production values are really, are really high. Locations, costumes, makeup, cinematography, everything about it is just great. And there's also, you've got that opening credits theme music by Hans Zimmer, which is like a really powerful theme that kind of is up there with his Dark Knight mu- music. Um, so, 
yeah, this this season's really, really compelling. And I know there's been some, I've read some articles and people have sort of questioned the historical accuracy of some things. And of course, how can they know what conversations happen behind closed doors? I'm not really hung up on that as far as I'm concerned. This is, you know, this is now how it happens in real life because the TV's taught me that. That's how I learn, right? So, uh, so yeah, get amongst, get amongst the crown if you can. Um, that's pretty much it for what I've been watching for me too, Dan. I did want to uh, chuck in one final podcast review, as I want to do now and then for this year. And um, I'm actually going to talk about Mission Lock. And I don't know about you, but since we started our podcast, I find that I do tend to listen to podcasts from two angles. Um, firstly, because I'm obviously interested in what they're talking about. And then secondly, as a podcaster, I know pay attention to the the way they do it, their approach, their structure, the the rapport. Is that, has the way you listen to podcasts changed since we started doing this at all? Yeah, definitely. Like I, I'm really intrigued about the, you know, the relationship between different people on the podcast, you know, how they format and structure episodes, whether they have regular flavours, how they kind of um, – how much kind of like prep or how natural it kind of feels it's definitely made me look at or, or listen to podcasts through a, a different lens mm. i think you what you touched on there is really quite poignant because what mission log do john and norman they, they they definitely do their prep but at the same time they they do it all very naturally so um there's a couple of reasons why i wanted to, to talk about this podcast firstly because the guys at roddenberry.com have you know supported our podcast including today's episode for quite some time and secondly you know, this is a podcast I've listened to for many years now. So, um, and looking back on every podcast I've listened to this year, I have to say these guys are definitely my number one podcast for 2020. And that is from both my listening uh, as as a as a listening as um, as a fan of Star Trek and also as a, as a podcaster. And I think if you were to imagine a TV series that you really enjoy, right? So think about a TV show you really like, and you wanted to listen to a podcast each week that reviews that episode of the show that you just watched, one episode at a time, for like an hour each week. And these guys have gone all the way back to the start. So they've got the original series, all the movies, The Next Generation, and now they're halfway through Deep Space Nine. So they're still only up to like the mid-90s. And all I can say is I really wish that podcasting was a thing back in the 90s because if I could have been watching this and then listening to it after after each episode, that would be the perfect companion for me. And so, as I say, they do their prep. They're, each podcast has all the production stuff, the trivia for that week's episode. There's a recap. And then, of course, there's the discussion between John and Norman, and and I guess just like there on the, on our podcast sets, they you know they go looking for the morals, the meanings, the messages, and and they have just a great laugh along the way. And there's there's always so much stuff, the trivia, the Easter eggs, those little references that you don't pick up on. And then it's that that discussion and that rapport that Norman and John have that really makes them a, a must listen to as well. And um and then on top of the episode reviews. Uh, they do live shows and supplementals, which are great as well. So, um, and then sometimes their boss shows up, and he's he's Rod Roddenberry, um, which is great because not only is Rod, he's a producer on Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, and Lower Decks. So, you know, he's got some, you know, he's got that sort of touch with actual real Star Trek that's going on. But he's also, of course, the son of of um, Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry. So, in many respects, it feels like this is the genuine authority on Star Trek for me. And so for anyone who's a Star Trek fan, this truly is a podcast you'll get a lot from. And even if you don't like all of the tracks, you can still go in and just pick out specific episodes that you really enjoyed because there's like they've got nearly like 400 episodes. So, um, so yeah, Mission Log. I recommend it, Dan. Great review. That's, that's a great review. I quite enjoy some of these podcasts uh, which are around now, which um, give you that sort of episodic 
uh, episode that lines up with uh, an episode of the show, and then you, you you can pair them like a like a, a fine wine. Um, there's a similar podcast available for the office where you can like you know if you've got a favorite episode, you can then kind of listen into the behind the scenes, and it it really does bring the episodes to life in a whole new way for you. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. I've 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 heard about that one too. Um, and another one that I want to get you on board with next year is the Medical Saw Insider, where they have um, they always have Peter Gould on, uh, sometimes Vince Gilligan, uh, and, and each week they have someone member of the cast in as well. It's it's that's really good too. But uh, yeah, shall we uh, shall we get into our because uh, um, I, I just can't wait, Dan. I know we're here for a lot of reasons, but. Uh, can we talk about the Mandalorian? And I need I need you to to, to start us off because I'm I don't know where to start with this week's episode. Then can I just tell you the the kind of like the context of leading up to this episode for me? So I have never been so excited for like a a season two final episode of the season in my life. Like I feel like I was thinking about this episode all week. We've obviously been talking about it for a long time. We've had a bunch of different predictions. Um there's been various rumors. I think some we got right, some we got wrong. But when it came to the day of watching it, I actually had guests arrive at the exact <laughs> time that the episode and I had to wait to watch this episode till I think it was about eleven o'clock at night before I could yeah. finally sit down and watch it. There was no way I was putting this episode on for, first of all, non-Star Wars fans, and then be just people asking me questions the whole way through. Like, there would have been some actual murders. So I, I had a bit of a, a delayed watch. Um, but holy moly, Paul. Like, I have never felt so many emotions in one episode of TV. I was excited um, I felt sad. I felt um, it was heartwarming. It was epic. It was everything that a young Daniel Whiting Star Wars fan could have ever hoped for. And I think they captured a moment in The Mandalorian Season 2 that I, I, I presume I haven't felt since I was a child. This really cemented for me my love of Star Wars. I love it. I don't know how to follow that, Dan, because you've, firstly, can I say, I don't know how you coped with your situation of having people come just as the episode was about to air. I presume you had to turn everything off, all social media, and not go anywhere near the internet, because if that had been spoiled, then, as you said, there would have been actual murders in your house, probably. Um, I feel exactly the same way. Uh, and I guess, just in case, anyone hasn't watched it and are planning on it, you, you need to you need to take a look at the show notes and jump ahead uh, because we, we obviously do have to talk spoilers and I'm not even gonna make any attempt to, to hold back down I'm gonna jump straight into it at the end because we, we, we talked about this right we talked about this maybe not last week maybe it was a couple of weeks ago about who the Jedi might be that was going to show up we're pretty sure that a Jedi was going to show up and I think for my money I was I was kind of like oh it's going to be it's going to be Ezra you know you you said a, a couple of suggestions you even talked about the possibility of a Sith there was a number of things it could have been but both of us I think had said look yeah I guess it could be Luke Skywalker but that's a long shot that, that they're probably not going to go that big I think we said something like oh yeah they're not going to bring Luke because if you bring in Luke you can bring in anyone and so what did they do they bring in Luke Skywalker and the emotion of that moment as I was watching it. I couldn't cope with, and I had to. I mean, we always watch this again, but I, I couldn't cope 
with the last sort of 10 minutes because I, I was just in a state of shock and I, I actually only really enjoyed it properly the second time around. I think as soon as um, they said that there's one X-Wing approaching, I was screaming like a schoolgirl, like, it's like Skywalker! Like, it was crazy. And, you know, then we had the classic um, hooded um, Return of the Jedi Luke and, like, a little insider um, bit of trivia knowledge about uh, Daniel Whiting is when I was a kid, so Return of the Jedi, Luke was always my favourite, and I always have such strong memories of him, like in his full black Jedi attire, being the most badass thing ever. And I remember, I, I, I vividly remember, lying in bed as a kid, like, I don't know, seven, eight years old, and thinking, when I'm an adult, that's how I'm gonna dress. I'm gonna I'm gonna wear like like black like a tunic, these black pants, these black boots, and I'm gonna have my lightsaber on my hip. And there's not a thing anyone in this world can do about it. So when I see classic look like that, it always reminds me of that memory. Um, and it was, oh, it was it was it was a thing of beauty. The way that he arrived, the way that he just cut down um, all of that. What are we sorry? What are we calling them? Death. Uh, uh, Dark troopers, Dark troopers. Um, and it was just, it was just incredible. Um, like I do have, you know, you're gonna hate me, but I do, I do have a couple of comments um, about the about the CGI. But overall, absolutely epic. I, I just couldn't imagine in my wildest dreams a TV show bringing Luke Skywalker, a young Luke Skywalker, back to life. It was incredible. It was incredible, and uh, there's. There's so much uh, that was well done about this episode in in terms of Luke's arrival. I when the when the X-wing showed up, unlike you, I wasn't screaming. I I simply looked across at Diana and shook my head and said, "No, no way." I, I refused to believe it. And even when I saw the green lightsaber, I was like, "No, they're they're, they're playing with us." I I just refused to believe it. Uh, the 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 synergy not the synergy what's the word the the symmetry sorry of his arrival into that scene in terms of the arrival of Vader in the Rogue One scene as well and the way that they both carved their way through the the obstacles in their way was 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 really really powerful with the, even with the angle at which the, the the lightsaber is is pointed down when they sort of enter the enter the scene um it was just truly sensational they they obviously and I think from Mark Hamill's tweets it looks as if they had they had filmed this a year ago and or that he had had to keep quiet about this for, for a year, which is obviously pre pre COVID, which seems um, extraordinary. But um, yeah, there was, there was just so much about this. Uh, and I am interested to hear what you, what, what sort of little uh, niggles you, you may have. But um, one of the things I did like was uh, Mark Hamill's voice, de-aged as well i i thought it, his voice was so good the way they made him sound that young again was was also incredible and without jumping right to the conclusion i felt like it made perfect sense that it was luke from the point of view that if we're seeing the separation of mando and grogu and no one wants that to happen because how can these two ever be separated the only thing that is going to satisfy me as an audience is that Grogu is being taken away by someone that really matters and there will never be anyone bigger than Luke Skywalker in, in Star Wars who's alive at this point that could have done that. Yeah, I think it, it, it's 
it even just generates even so many more questions. Like, so, you know, was is, is Grogu before Ben? Before Ben Solo? Like, when, like, what's the, the timeline of events? I think it's also really reinforced, I think, how important Luke Skywalker is. And I think we've, we've always known that he's important. But I think what this actually does is this actually really strengthens the um, the latest Star Wars movies because it really sets it up so much so much better and adds so much emphasis and weight to what Luke's trying to build. And I wouldn't be surprised to see more Luke Skywalker in the future with an actual actor um, just because it's it's such a – He's such an important figure, and there's still so many like tales told between you know before he basically um, flies off on his in his X wing to to give it all up. It's it was just fascinating, but I think there's so many other great scenes in this, even outside of the uh, of the of Luke that we need to talk about as well. So I want I want to save my kind of I want to call it a light critique ball to the very end because I don't want to sully the waters. Okay, so um, should, should, we, should we jump back earlier into the episode when uh, when we have, I guess, uh, Fett and and Mando looking and finding Bo-Katan? Oh, another top quality scene. I think the the little fight um, in the in that cantina was was top quality here. Like you'll be talking through the window of a back to tank. Like that is top level banter, and just you know. Mandalorian versus Mandalorian, the Bo-Katan's reference to, like, I've heard your voice a million times before. Yeah. I loved it. And, I, you know, even just the constant shade that, you know, you're not a, you're not a real Mandalorian and, you know, I never said I was. It's it's so good and the, and the, the beef is strong. And what I really like about it is that though, you know, um, Din – uh, Din Djarin is um is is the the Mandalorian for us in this show, and he's he's such a, a strong character. You can still bring in power. Are you okay? I I, I just love the beef is strong. I feel like that's that's the, that's the title of the episode right now. That's great. <laughs> um, even like so, you can have Din and you can have Bo-Katan and you can have Boba Fett all in the same scene, and they can all kind of like um step step up and step back when they need to to make the scene work. And I think that that's great storytelling i think it's great acting and it just really makes so many special moments all the time mm. you're absolutely right they gave us so much you know we've we've got we've got boba fett we've got manda we've, we've got Kara, we've we've got uh, gideon we've got luke we've got we've got so many things my, my one criticism of this episode is they only gave us 47 minutes i, I feel like I feel like they've done longer episodes before. I felt like I just needed a bit of a breather in between just to sort of take some things in because there was just so much going on. All of those scenes that you described in the in that initial meeting between the, the Mandalorians and Fett was giving as good as he got. He also had it handed to him as well um, a couple of times, which was, which was good because Fett seems to have always been the badass in the Star Wars universe. And he's sort of, you know, he's holding his own, but he's also, he's getting a bit of a, uh, you know, a little bit of humility about it. Um, I, I really also think we should get into the conversation about the the dark saber because that was quite extraordinary as well, wasn't it? Yeah, look, I think I think you're right. Like, so you know, for a lot of people who haven't particularly watched 
the Clone Wars or Rebels, you know, the Darksaber is still probably a, a bit of an anomaly to them or just a bit of a, like, what is this? Um, but, you know, if you are interested in the Darksaber, there's, there's a lot of great episodes um, in both of those animated shows that go into a bit more detail about the Darksaber. There's different characters with it. Um, and I think overall again just the way this whole dark saber issue played out um kind of architected by moff gideon what a stroke of genius oh just absolute genius i mean i i i i, I don't i just don't know where to start with it i i feel like um seeing that dark saber actually in action uh, in in live action, having seen it only previously in animated, that was that was pretty pretty special. Gideon was angry. You know, he was really quite clumbersome in the manner in which he was uh, throwing it around. He kind of reminded me a little bit of of Ray or even Finn when they were using a lightsaber, sort of in their early days of using a lightsaber, if you like. Um, I found that just uh, you know the, the way he went after Mando was just. Um, really really good um and you know he got caught pretty quickly i guess but uh yeah really just incredible seeing it happen i think this is another you know beauty of the way this episode is done because when you you know on one hand you've got and this is obviously a bit later but when you have luke arrive on the ship and he's just carving through people like a true jedi master like he has masked Force. He has mastered the lightsaber, and he's like a samurai, just like yeah. slicing, dicing. Versus, you know, Moff Gideon, as you say, like quite a sort of a brutal, angry attack. Uh, but it was again, it was great to see the the Beskar armor uh, protecting Din, and just seeing uh, you know, him, him getting to use the spear. It, it still was nowhere near as aggressive as Boba Fett with his um, with his staff when he was on that planet. But it was still such a such a, a great scene and it's great to know that in the star wars universe there is actually weapons that can go against the lightsaber because you know up until more recently you know apart from saying box or some of the legends it's always kind of been like the lightsaber is the ultimate weapon right like it's it's nothing nothing can stop a you know well there is a few things but you know in general i feel like beskar armor would be a pretty pretty useful armor for um for any jedi to be wearing in a lightsaber fight you know, I think that would have saved a few arms and limbs here and there if everyone was dressed up in the best guy. I think if if the Empire ever found a way to have uh, manufactured or, or or whatever with with best guy, you know, those because if you imagine those dark troopers with uh, with best guy blazing, they would be pretty much um, unstoppable. And I think maybe we should talk about the the dark troopers as well. But I just wanted to touch on one thing just before I forget it, because um, obviously we had. Uh, Katie Sackhoff back as Bogotan again from the Battlestar Galactica universe. There was a couple of things that reminded me about Battlestar. Firstly, the Dark Troopers, they had a real modern day Cylon uh, feel about them, I thought, in action. And secondly, the launch sequence of that TIE fighter really, for me, was very much like those Vipers from the, the old 70s Battlestar, how they would launch. Uh, it just felt right out of that book. I really I really enjoyed that for some reason. It really struck me. But, um, yeah, the Dark Troopers, Dan, what do you think? Uh, look, they were, again, a, a formidable force. And, obviously, um, uh, 
droids aren't a, aren't a new concept in the in the Star Wars universe. Like we, they they were sort of heavily introduced in the in the prequels. Uh, but again, the, these are these are tough units, right? And it was it was great. I think you know that. Um, Dan only had to fight one of them, and then when they all got blown out of the airlock, I thought that was fantastic. And then when they all arrived back, it was like, of course they're going to arrive back. They're droids. Like, they don't need oxygen. And um, and I was like, oh, how are they going to get through this? And, you know, much like the the characters that were on deck, um, it was it – was, you know, they needed that Jedi to, to really save them. But they were uh, definitely a, a terrifying um, – uh, enemy, I guess, and I think I think you mentioned this earlier, Paul, uh, not on the pod, but about the sort of the, the Terminator type vibe and mm-hmm. the fact that you know, they're pretty unstoppable. So I think you know they they were probably right to be scared because you know Din could barely take on one, let alone uh, a whole of them. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, that whole sequence when when Din. I'm going to start trying to call him Din as well. When when he uh, when he saw the them about to come out the door and he's like no and you know he it just he just acts so genuinely like you know he's like the audience isn't he and, and he, he shuts the door and we're all like oh that was close and then the hands come through the door and of course he's in trouble and that whole scene he just gets absolutely smashed and he, he's using up all of his weapons which of course Gideon spotted um but in the end a good old spear to the to the throat of a mechanic everyone's got a weak spot and uh, he's he's taken them down uh the the scenes for which we, you know, the, let's go back again to the, there's so much to talk about, Dan, the, the way they set up the approach to Gideon's ship with the faking of Fett chasing this Lambda-class shuttle. How many Lambda-class shuttles have we seen stolen in Star Wars now? Because, you know, you, you start thinking about Shuttle Tiderian in Return of the Jedi. It's just great to see the that technique be played once again, but right from the start, you can just tell by Gideon's eyes, he knows what's up. He knows it's a trap, but it plays out. And it, it and it was great also, can I just add, to see Fett in Slave 1 just take out a couple of ties and then jump to light speed. That was really satisfying. It was incredible. So there was a real great, like, mic drop Slave 1 moment where, you know, obviously when he's first sort of chasing that ship, he's kind of easygoing. But obviously, you know, Boba Fett's a skilled pilot. And that, in Slave 1 was making mincemeat, you know, as soon as he's like, all right, it's go time, pew, pew, and, and away they go. I think um, before that happens, so when uh, when they originally board the ship, also just a shout out to talking about, you know, it's both, you know, uh, a, a, a fictional sad thing and a, a long time, I guess kind of like internet joke, I guess, um, you know, particularly talking about the, the death of everyone on a, on a Death Star, and you know, like millions of people lost their lives, and the fact that they kind of like found a way to incorporate that into the into the not banter, but kind of the, the back and forth between between the pilots and um, Cara Dune was was so great, and it, again, it just really like humanized the the whole thing. Yeah, oh, that that line that, that Cara Dune had when she looks back at him, you know, I, she when he says to her, "I, I watched older and." be destroyed from the death star and she just you know goes back at him like you said which 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 one you know just just really really good and the fact that he recognized um that she was from old on because i don't know if you have spotted i'm sure you have that that tear tattoo that she has uh you know just under her eye that's um that's something that's uh that's been um played on uh 
before. I think it, I think it's tied into her her nickname around Dropper as well, if if memory serves. But um, yeah, it was a real good line. It was it was a real good scene, and um, it was just right from the start, wasn't it? There's one other scene that I, I just want to give a bit of a shout out to, and this is a real girl power scene. But I think when um, Bo-Katan and um, Fennec and Cara Dune and Cosca Reeves were basically like you know busting through the ship, and as they go across that walkway, and uh, Bo-Katan and Cosca uh, just kind of like dive off the edge of the mm. of the bridge. And then like fly up and then come down and blast them. And then a little bit later on, you've got Cara June dealing with like a jammed laser rifle, which I'm not quite sure how that works. But either way, and then just kind of like really going like full drop trooper and just like slamming it on the ground and blasting all of those stormtroopers. This is top tier. This is great. I, I didn't even watch a show about those four ladies. No, you're right. I would too. Uh, it was really good. And I think Fennec uh, really came to the fore there as well. She's, you know, she's just a, a real max. She's just great. And you know, everyone knows that Stormtroopers aren't the best players in the world. But even so, just in terms of numbers, they were so outnumbered, but they're just cutting them down. And uh, it was just great. And then and Din himself taking out the Stormtroopers the way he was doing it in, in his scenes. It was just, I think back to uh, when we think about season one and we talked about the third chapter, chapter three, The Sin. And I remember talking about how I, I loved how Din has taken out these, uh, I think it was four stormtroopers at that time, and just think, oh, that was amazing. And then we just look at what we're at in this episode in terms of the intensity and the sheer scale and the numbers. It's just really ramped up. So before we get into, I guess the what the the big reveal at the like you know the second big reveal. Mm. Do you want my bit of um, critique? Let's have it. So, well, you know, I've. I've long struggled with the CGI characters. I've struggled with them in Rogue One. I struggle with them in Walking Dead. Um, I struggle um, again in, in the later Star Wars movies. And so I, uh, so I'm saying this. It's kind of a. I, I'm, I'm saying this cautiously, because so for me. So there's two things I always find frustrating in movies. One, when people give each other a cup and there's no liquid in it and they're just like slopping it around like it bothers me. And then two, if like the you can tell that the character's CGI and the the voice and it kind of there's a there's a lack of like weight to the way that when I'm looking at their lips and the talking, it doesn't doesn't quite work for me. And I think now I think this does suffer a little bit from that because I think though I think they did a fantastic job of Luke when he's particularly standing still and when you're not actually looking at him talk, it's the stuff of dreams. But I think when you actually kind of like really eyeball it, it kind of irks me just like a little bit. But the reason I'm going to give it a pass is because it doesn't doesn't freaking matter because I think the way that they brought Luke into this was so needed and so important you could have put a cardboard cut out there and I would have given it a pass. Like, I just don't care. Like, whereas sometimes in other movies or TV shows where they use CGI and they don't do it well, it really ruins the whole experience for me. This didn't ruin the experience for me. I just thought that there was some components that felt quite CGI-y. And I know that I was doing a little bit of research into it 
And so when they did uh, Tarkin back in Rogue One, that she did that with um, like 3D modeling and actually used the, an actor's face and then a whole bunch of sort of changes versus this version of Luke was done in quite a different way, um, almost in a internet like deep fake type way where you're kind of like overlaying and anyway. But I don't think it was like it was, it was epic and awesome and I loved it, but it's still like, I don't know what else you could do about it. There's, not, there's nothing else you could do, but I, I'm just, it did kind of a little bit kind of like ugh, for me i uh look i hear what you're saying i've i've never struggled with it i i think back to to rogue one um and of course rogue one wasn't the aging technology um you know as you said Tarkin and Leia, we didn't have gary fisher or, or peter cushing and so in, in some respects i think that was actually more impressive still um i think Technology itself has come forward a lot since then, but this was kind of reminding me of a little bit of the Irishman with, um, with the de-aging of Joe Pesci and De Niro and Pacino. And uh, I, yeah, it's still not a hundred percent. And I guess if it ever was, that would probably be a real worry. Um, I Diana said to me at one point, she's like, she was trying to work out who they've got to play Luke because she was so convinced it was a human. And that's that's the level at which I thought we were at with this. And I thought they were just clever about how they they tried to have a lot of his talking scenes maybe come from a different angle or from behind his head and, and not too many direct face-ons. Um, and they were they were they were uh, very prudent with the the way in which they moved him i thought in terms of um, pragmatic perhaps is a better word in terms of how they the angles they tried to display um but look i i kind of guessed this was coming i remember a couple of podcasts ago when you're like you don't want to see any the cgi or, or whatever and uh, i sort of laughed it off at the time because i just thought oh yeah well it's all right we're gonna get luke and here we are we've got luke so um yeah as I say, it's it's it actually took nothing away from the episode for me, so that's why it's like it's it's, it's like a low key thing. I obviously couldn't do any better, like I like I couldn't do anything like that myself. So it's top tier. It's so great. I I even feel like a bit of a dirtbag even bringing it up, but you know it's great for me to always have a moan and groan to you about these things, Paul. I think it's important that we do that. I, I really do. Can we um can we take us on to um the, the second reveal then because we had the credits roll uh, oh, actually no sorry let me just there's one last thing I want to say and that was R2-D2 and that was pretty special as well because of course that's actual R2 you know the, the real one the proper one it's no CGI there and just all of those great noises all of those great movements and reactions uh, and what was funny was I noticed how Grogu was he was clinging on to, to the Mandalorian he wasn't going anywhere for Luke at that point but he sees this shiny droid he's like oh What's this about? And he's straight into it, which is classic Grogu. Actually, we also didn't talk about just the fact of um, Din taking his helmet off for Grogu as well. And like, like that was such an emotional scene. And even um, when Grogu touches Din's face and it's just like, you know, Din's eyes are like filling with tears. Like it's such a, an emotional moment. And I feel like we're really going to see a different uh, than Dejarin next season, I think, because I think he's going to have different motivators and different drivers. And I think Grogu has almost kind of like taught him some things. And, you know, even though he's, he's a young 50 year old baby, it's, um, 
it's kind of softened them a little bit too on some of those hard views that he might have had from the from the first season. Yeah, no, agreed. And I think you're right. We will see a different, uh, just a different aspect to him. And I think, look, we're going to see that probably across uh, Ahsoka Tano series, where the Rangers of the New Republic series, and um, and I think we may even see him across a, another mini series as well, Dan. Yeah. So look, I think so. So we're watching the credits. And I don't know about you, Paul, but I was waiting for the the art cards to come up as mm-hmm. they always do because I I really enjoy look at them looking at them and I think when they release that book of all of the different art scenes, I'm I'm definitely going to have to own that because that that's that's so great. I really enjoy just looking at the um, the artist interpretation of some of those scenes, and those cards never come. But what we do get is a a new scene going to Jabba's palace, and so we're back on Tatooine. So first of all, it's like, whoa, it's Jabba's palace. Like, so again, another, like, more screaming and carrying on. And when we see uh, Fennec and Boba just sort of, you know, we're, we're back in the palace where obviously um, uh, Bib Fortuna is sort of, like, sitting in, in Jabba's place and he's he's obviously gained a few pounds since, uh, since the last time we saw him in uh, Return of the Jedi. And just the whole way that Fennec and Boba took control of that place was top tier. And that that final scene of uh, Boba and Boba sitting on the throne, Fennec kind of like posing next to him with her sniper rifle and drinking the, the blue space juice because everything in space needs to be blue. Um, it was incredible, incredible. What do you think? Oh, the, the scene was incredible. I mean, even when it just started, and it, I think the first scene is on those, those those twin sons, and straight away I'm thinking, okay, we're back on Tatooine, and like you say, it pans around and it's it's Jabba's palace. And in my mind, I was just thinking, in a split second, I was thinking, I don't know who's left because in my in my naivety, I guess I just figured, oh, you know, they they took out the skiff, they took out everyone in Return of the Jedi before they you know went on for the rest of the movie. I I just I just had no concept. Bib Fortuna, okay, bear with me. Bib Fortuna was my favourite minifigure as as a child. I just loved him. I just found the the way in which his you know the it wrapped around his body from the top of his head. I just found that so interesting, and I was really touched by the fact that they had him holding the staff in this this episode of The Mandalorian, because he had that as a minifigure. He had this staff, and he never had it in Return of the Jedi. So finally, that staff has become canon as well. It's a real thing. That was amazing. Um, setting up this this new this new miniseries, The Book of Boba Fett, um, was a real classic sort of Marvel move, you know, and I guess, you know, Disney owns all of it now, so that's, that's how they roll. But um, I found that whole scene fascinating. I found the... The authenticity of the palace—I guess we can't call it Jabba's palace. The palace—it uh, was Bibbs, now it's Boba's. Uh, just looked like like they had preserved it, and they just walked back into it since 1983. There was not a single thing that looked wrong about it, or awkward, or reproduced in any respect. It was just beautiful. And yeah, Bib Fortuna back on screen again was great. And and I just actually just whilst you were talking, I just read that um, uh, Matthew Wood uh, did the voice. Um, Bib Fortuna, and he actually had done the Bib Fortuna 
part in the Phantom Menace because, of course, you see a, a young Bib Fortuna with Jabber at that, that pod race. So, um, again, great little uh, continuity there. It was it was an amazing little scene, and it just it just I felt it was really necessary because there was just the the, the closing of the door of Luke uh, to and Gro and Grogu going. And that's it. Was just like I, I can't cope for twelve months with that. I need something else, and this was perfect. Yeah, I think what's so great about this is the you know when um, Apple releases their various products every year, they always have the oh, and just one more thing, which is sort of the famous iPhone. Um, just one more thing and this is the star wars one more thing and the fact that we'd already had you know so many new announcements which we went through last week of both marvel and star wars tv shows for them to have one more in the bank and be like a new tv show new tv show coming for you and it's called the book of boba fett like that's that's outrageous and how like Incredible. I, and the fact that it's going to star Boba Fett and Fennec and it's going to be set in the Mandalorian universe and is uh, Jabba's Palace going to be the new base for Boba Fett? That's freaking awesome. Like, oh, I just, I, I, I actually hope they go a little bit darker with this and I hope that we get um, more dark Boba Fett. And I actually read somewhere uh, that our director um, – Robert Rodriguez um, of of that he's actually going to be involved in this in the the book of Boba Fett and that is music to my ears like su- such a fun time it's you know we said it last week we'll say it again this week it's such a fantastic time to be a Star Wars fan yeah no agreed it is and I think uh, where I saw that was on Twitter and I can only hope that because of the character limit on Twitter that there's some details missing because it says on there um, the Bo- book of Boba Fett an original series starring Tamara Morrison and Mingna when an executive produced by John Favreau, Dave Filoni and Robert Rodriguez. I, I really hope it's more than executive production and I hope that that's just simply because on Twitter they can only fit so many characters in because I really want those guys to be involved. But the problem is, Dan, of course, with this many series, they can't be doing all of it. They're not superhuman. Well, maybe they are. But uh, I guess um, we're going to have to start trusting a few other people. And one person that I would mention that I do definitely trust is is Peyton Reed. Uh, he directed this episode, and I, uh, you know, his, you know, he's done both the Ant Man movies and, and a couple of other things. But I, I thought he was the direction of this episode. I couldn't fault a single thing. So, uh, yeah, great times, Paul. I, I feel like we could dedicate the whole entire episode to the show and talk about nothing else because. Like clearly, we're both absolutely in love with everything that we saw. It's so uh, it's going to be a long wait, but I think there's there's so much good stuff coming our way, and I'm sure as more news starts breaking next year, there's going to be a lot more to talk about this. Definitely, there is, and it's not just us, Dan, uh, in love with this episode. Thirty-two thousand at the time of recording, people have voted on IMDb for this. Nine point nine is the rating. It's And, you know, even with all those things we talked about, people still love it so much. And that's freaking awesome. And I think they deserve everything that they're getting because it's just so great. Agreed. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Shall we then, before, because otherwise I'll just keep going, shall shall we we talk about our, our movie of the week then? 
Yeah, let's do that. So every week, Paul and I take turns choosing different movies uh, that we watch, and then we basically review them, talk about what we think about it. Uh, this week, it was – oh, it was my choice this week. I was going to say, Paul, what was your choice? But I made the choice. Um, so this week, we reviewed Beverly Hills Cop from 1984, a bit of a classic. I know you're a fan. This is this is one of my all-time favourites, Dan, and, you know – this was something of a Christmas movie for me uh, as well. A lot of people have Die Hard as like their Christmas movie. This this was mine for some reason. And as a kid, I remember we had this on, you know, recorded off the TV on VHS, and so we we would it would get put on a lot back in the day. Um, back when I guess you know there were very limited choices. And um, just in case anyone hasn't seen this movie, the, the synopsis is uh, a freewheeling Detroit cop pursuing a murder investigation, finds himself dealing with the very different culture of Beverly Hills and the LAPD. And this is an absolute classic. I absolutely loved it. And and now, of course, every time I watch it, I also really appreciate seeing Mr. Half Measures himself, Jonathan Banks, in this movie, who back then I didn't realise it was Jonathan Banks. So that was really, really enjoyable too. Yeah, look, I think this is uh, such a great movie. It's it's a lot of fun, and I think what I enjoy about movies, particularly from the 80s, and I wonder whether it's just because that's sort of the uh, the era where we maybe started appreciating movies or, um, you know, kind of, yeah, probably just sort of got to experience more of them, is that they're like a time capsule for how much the world has moved on in some places to today like the the way people talk the fashion how sexist or racist people are like it's Mm. it's quite a it's a quite a a little boxed package thing and it's quite insightful to kind of go back and watch and i'm i'm with you it was so great seeing jonathan banks in fact um i had to say to samara that's jonathan banks and it's like who and it's like you know so he looks so different um with uh, i guess with hair and as as a as a much younger man but i think what i do want to give this uh, movie a great shout for is it's absolutely banging soundtrack and you can't beat the beverly hills cop um theme song that they play repeatedly through this movie at any moment where it's kind of like we're going into peak action we're about to have some fun we just we just go for the soundtrack and it's it's awesome the whole soundtrack is great. The, the, the neutron, that's the everything. But the, that main theme, as you say, is is just absolutely iconic. And just even when they're sort of not playing the full synth version, but they might be playing the, the bass line just as, as part of the – I'm not very good at the musical type of stuff, but you know when I mean? you've just got the bass theme going as part of it, was it just – just absolutely superb right right from the start of this movie and again i've seen it so many times but just seeing it with that cigarette truck scene great opening credits eddie murphy is is hilarious in this but for me i decided now that it is this love-hate relationship that he has with the two cops billy rose rosewood and taggart that are really at the heart of the success of this this movie and it's weird because as a kid i think i always related mostly to, to Billy. But as I got older, I feel like I've sympathised with and in many respects have become the character of Taggart. And um, honestly, that's where the gold is for me between those three. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because even um, what I find funny about um, particular, particularly movies of, sort of the 80s, 90s genre is when it's a cop, 
um, cop genre, and then they go between different states. It's like it's like the it's almost like coming to America. It's like a whole different world. So being a Detroit cop versus being an LA cop is so different, and they've got a whole bunch of different tolerances. They've got it's like a whole different world that they're they're having to live in. I'll tell you one thing that did really make me laugh in this though is when. Axel Foley's booking himself a, a hotel room at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And they're like, that'll be $250. And he's like, whoa. And it's like $250, like, for a, like, that would be $2,500 today. Like, right. it, it was it was great. I, I definitely had a good laugh for myself about that scene. Yeah, the money, the money thing was was crazy how much that's moved on. Um, also, I enjoyed Ronnie Cox, uh, who plays um, Bogleman. Just a, another great actor from the 80s and 90s. And, like, you know, he, he's been across Star Trek and Robocop and Total Recall, but he's he's personified for me as as the, the police chief, Bogleman. Um, and also one of the funniest characters in this, and this goes for the second and third movies too, is Axel's boss in up in Detroit, and that's Inspector, Inspector Todd. And... I've, I just did a little bit of reading around him just because I just thought, why have I never seen him before? And Gil Hill, who plays Inspector Todd, he was actually a policeman and a detective in real life. And he only ever acted in the three Beverly Hill Cop movies as Inspector Todd. That's the only acting he ever did. He was actually a real life detective. And so that just amazes me because I just find the way he, he talks and intimidates Axel and it's just so matter of fact. And so he's the most serious. I remember as a kid just being terrified of him because he was just so serious. I, I really enjoyed his character too. Just brilliant. I think yeah, overall, Paul, this is a, a great fun watch. It's a movie I like. I have always enjoyed uh, growing up, but it's been it's been a long time since I've actually watched it. So it was it was good to go back and reacquaint myself with Axel Foley. And I wish as a kid that I had tried the banana and a tailpipe trick because I feel like I can't get away with it at this age. But I don't even know if it would actually work. But that whole scene with the the waiter going across the street and then the banana and the tailpipe it's it's just brilliant. Um, it's oh, it's great. It's a great choice for movie of the week. Then it gives me an excuse to go back and rewatch a favorite. And uh, every time I watch this, I then want to watch the sequel. Um, and number two was was also great. Number three is 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 perhaps not the best, but number four is in is in the works. And I feel like I feel like Judge Reinhold has been confirmed I don't, as Billy. I don't know about John Ashton who plays Taggart, but. All I'll say is they better have not changed the opening theme music by so much as a note because that's that's got to stay. And I feel like that music as well, Dan, you know, when you drive into Napier here in New Zealand and you go past all those massive palm trees as you're coming in along the main drag, I feel like that's a really good opportunity to have the windows down and have that Beverly Hills Cop music playing, right? That's great. That, I, that, do you know what, Paul? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you a Snapchat with it next time I'm in Napier. Um, I had a similar thing one time when I was in Miami and I was constantly blasting uh, Welcome to Miami by Will Smith just because I thought it's so, it's so topical. When am I ever going to get to do this in my entire life? And it, 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 it made the whole thing really work for me. Correct. And look, we don't know for a fact, by the way, that Jonathan Banks' character got killed off. He got shot and he fell to the ground, but maybe he survived. You know, We thought that Fennec was dead in The Mandalorian. Maybe Jonathan Banks' character didn't get killed off. Maybe he could come back for number four as well as a real grizzled old guy. That would be uh, that would be quite a shock, I think. That would be, even just as a cameo, as a different character, it would be great. It would be just great to get some of those guys back. 
ah, good times, Paul. And it, it was good. I When um, I put this movie up for suggestion, I completely forgot about Jonathan Banks being in it, but it really was the, the Christmas cherry on top. Nicely done, Dan. Do you have for us on this Christmas podcast any news for us, I wonder? Do I have some news? I've got a little bit of news. Um, not a lot going on. Obviously, the, the big bit of news that we've already talked about is the the book of Boba Fett, so we don't probably need to cover that again. Um, but I do have a couple of little items. So Andrew Lincoln, uh, another friend of the show. Yeah, right. From the, um, who is, you know, the, the long sort of talked about, rumoured, discussed Walking Dead movies. Andrew Lincoln has confirmed that a full-length uh, movie version of The Walking Dead is set to start filming in spring next year. So spring next year is sort of around that march period. So it looks like these Walking Dead movies are progressing ahead. will be interesting to see what happens. I guess if they're filming in March, we might get it late 21, early 22. But interesting to see and I, I wonder too because this will obviously be linking up with what's happening in World Beyond and Fear the Walking Dead and whether like how much of this it all connects together so that will be an interesting time I also see that uh, Wonder Woman 1984 which we know is going to be released on Christmas Day um, on HBO for a month um, as well as theatres is also now coming to video on demand in the UK on the 13th of January. Mm. So, which is interesting because apparently some negotiations have happened. And so that might mean it might appear in some other places around the world because originally it was going to only be on HBO. Um, but, you know, you never know. We might even get it over here in little old New Zealand. I know we are getting it in theatres on uh, Boxing Day, um, but uh, look, I would I would jump on it if we get it on on video demand in some way. But we'll wait and see what happens. I would love that. And there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that would be great to see on on HBO Max. And I know um, a couple of us have been talking about this in the in the Discord community uh, this week as well about um, other things. Uh, one of the guys in there talking about. Uh, Stargirl and there's so much HBO Max content that would be great to have it here in New Zealand but no that's really exciting and then my final bit of news um, Obama former president of the United States has released his annual um, 2020 top movies and top TV shows much like um, Pork and Hour who I think Obama may be copying mm. so I just wanted uh, you would like me to read out what Barack Obama's top movies and top TV shows of 2020 are? Let's have it. All right. Movies first. So, Mark Rainey's Black Bottom, Bean Pole, Buckaroo, Nomad Land, Soul, Lovers Rock, Collective, Mank, Martin Eden, Let Him Go, Time, Boy State, Seller and the Spades, Crip Camp. Now, I think Barack Obama might have a, a slightly, uh, obviously, more educated, more considered palette of movies than maybe you know, some of the ones that I suggest. So I, I've only heard of a couple of those. A lot of them I, I've unfortunately never heard of. But if Barack's saying the tea is good, I bet you they're great. I bet you that they are great. I do wonder what's happened to Obama, who used to be into some of the shows. Because there was a time when Homeland 
he had that as his number one show and so that's kind of like been oh yeah me, me and me and Barack we're you know we're big homeland fans I kind of thought there'd be something in there but there's nothing in there oh, I think so that's all movies there is some shows oh, in there for oh, TV. Oh, okay okay let me read you other TV shows so Better Call Soul we're back Queen's Gambit oh I, I May Destroy You The Boys which I keep telling you to watch Paul <laughs> The Good Lord Bird Devs, The Last Dance, Miss America, The Good Place, City So Real. So I think that's a that's a much more balanced uh, list. I think there's a I relate to his TV watching a little bit more than his movie watching. Um, but I think you know maybe Paul, maybe it's time for us to do uh, an episode in the in the very near future on our maybe our top TV shows of 2020. That's not a bad idea. Actually, I can think of a, I can think of a few that will definitely be in there, and uh, I think what a relief to see that Barack Obama is still on the same page as us, at least on a on a few shows, because um, that that just gives me a feeling of well, you know. Oh, I love, I love the idea that Barack Obama is sitting down to watch the boys on on Amazon Prime. I, I absolutely love it. I, I think it's it's so cool. Like I, I feel like he's such a. Um, You'd be such a busy guy. He's, he's into so many different things now, and he still makes time to watch an episode of Better Call Saul. Incredible. Amazing. Uh, is that all your news, Dan? That is me, my friend. Okay. Uh, so I have a couple of little things here. MGM is looking to sell, sell, sell its studio. So uh, apparently. They've got a, a whole library of content, including the, the James Bond franchise, which it wants to sell. And so that could be quite exciting, depending on who might purchase that uh, in terms of it becoming available online. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. You know, films like Rocky, films like The Hobbit, TV shows that, you know, Handmaid's Tale, Vikings. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. So that's quite interesting. Um not much else for me. The other stuff we already talked about, the book of Boba Fett. The only other thing I've got, it's not really news, but I thought it was quite interesting, is if you go onto, onto Google right now and enter the, the search criteria, if you just enter the words, the child, and then press search and click on 3D, uh, you will get a 3D rendering of Grogu who will appear anywhere on your on your camera phone, wherever you're pointing your camera in the background and will sort of like fit to that background. It's really quite clever if you give it a go. Uh, but that's yeah, that's that's all I've got. The only other thing oh, I'll go on, I'll mention it because it's not really movies, but I love it. So Peter Jackson, uh, I don't know if you saw this week, he revealed some of the first footage of his uh, his documentary uh, about the Beatles called Get Back, and it looks really really good. I'm a Beatles fan. I'm a Peter Jackson fan. It's not really movies or TV, but I, well, it is, isn't it? I loved it. It looks great. Awesome, yeah, no, I, I did see that. I yeah, no, awesome times. What's in our mailbag this week, Paul? Okay, so last week, Dan, you gave us your review of the New Zealand film Savage, and we had a few people connected to that movie uh, like and share our review, uh, including Ollie Presling, who played um, the portrayal of the main character Danny at a younger age, and uh, and also Ali Lieberman, who composed the music for that film. Um, so that was that was pretty cool. Um, the actress uh, Nazanin Bernardi, who played the Fox journalist uh, Rudy Bakhtia in Bombshell, our movie of the week last week, she 
she liked our post uh, online. She actually shared three of our reviews now in this year um, for things that she's been in. Um, the other two were, were Homeland and Hotel Mumbai. So she came back for a third head measures, which is great. Uh, what else have I got here? Also, we talked about, um, obviously, last week we talked about all the new Star Wars series and movies that are coming out. We had a few people comment on what they were most looking forward to. Uh, we had Ryan from San Fran said that he was most excited about Lando. We had White Star Prime from Pumson North went with uh, Rogue Squadron, and there was a couple of other votes there from people with usernames I don't know how to pronounce um, for Ahsoka. Um, and then, as always, we had some people give us their their peak performances. Uh, this week, uh, we had Keanu Reeves, and um, on Facebook, we had. Uh, Thomas Fittiora from Hamilton here in New Zealand who went with Point Break uh, commenting that he thought he had a real legit brother vibe happening with Patrick Swayze and we had Paddy on Facebook uh, went with his 3-2-1 of Point Break uh, Bill and Ted, the whole franchise and the winner for him was John Wick and on Twitter we had someone called Fighter44 went with 47 Ronin uh, which um, I know is a, a movie you watched and enjoyed this year. And then finally on Instagram, we had uh, Michael from North Carolina, went with the 321 of all three John Wick movies. And uh, we did try and push him as to as to what order those were in. And he said that there's no particular order for those because it's just like Lord of the Rings, it's all one story. Um, but if we did have some guns akimbo to his head, he said that he would say number three, slightly edged it as the best for him. And finally, Ryan from San Fran again. He went with Bill and Ted. I think that's it. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's the mailbag then. That's awesome. So it must be time for a little bit of peak performance. Who have we got this week, Paul? This week, then, we are going with Jason Statham. Okay, so much like our uh, movie of the week with our peak performance, we, we choose an actor or an actress or a director or a producer and we, we talk about what we think are their three, two, one best um, movies, films, TV shows, whatever it may be. But for Jason Statham, so obviously uh, he stars in a lot of action films. Paul, did you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I can kick us off. Um, I, I love Statham, eh? He, he is always... It's just great to watch, and I find that when he's got a good script, he's actually really one of the best. Um, and the reason I sort of made that comment about the script is because I will say, and I, I guess I kind of knew this before I looked at his back catalogue, for sort of like he's done quite a few bad movies too, and I feel like that for every sort of one good movie he does, he's got a couple of duds in there as well. But that's okay because there's a lot of good ones, and I still, I still had a struggle to choose a, a top three for him. But in the end, I went with number three. Death Race, um, 2008 movie. Not everyone likes this movie, but I found it a really intriguing watch. I actually, I really love the premise of this this whole movie. I thought he was great. Um, opposite Ian McShane and opposite uh, David David Carradine uh, uh, from, from Kill Bill. It was actually one of his last movies he did before he died. And um, I really just, yeah, just I, I think it was because it was a sort of movie that I didn't expect to like, and I, I really got a lot out of it, and I felt that Statham was was really strong as the lead in this. Number two for me uh, is the bank job, and uh, this is a, a a really great '70s heist movie. I talked about how I love a heist movie. This is one where he gets involved in a scheme where a group of people find out that um, 
a bank a bank's alarm has been turned off for a couple of weeks, and so they decide to to tunnel into the vault. Plus, at half measure, I haven't done my research, but I seem to recall that there are there's an element of truth to this story as well. That um, the whole tunneling underneath a cafe to get into the bank it's 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 really really good. The winner for me is the movie Snatch, and his role of Turkish is always how I imagine him in my mind. And for me, this is this is even better than his role in Lock, Stop and Two Smoking Barrels. And it was it was really hard for me to not actually have that movie in my top three um, because I actually think that movie is better than Bank Job and I think it's better than Death Race. But I think Jason Statham's performances in those two movies was, was, was still stronger. So I've tried to do it about the performances, but Snatch for me is just... It's just the epitome of, of Jason Statham. He had such a, a great script given to him by Guy Ritchie, and um, his his scenes with Alan Ford, who plays Bricktop, will remain for me in my one of my top scenes of all time. It was just a, it was just a great movie, and I haven't seen him do anything better than than Snatch, uh, which is now coming up twenty years old. So yeah, that's my three, two, one. Very good, Paul. Good, I think. Um, I think you're right. Like, I think uh, Statham's got some uh, an interesting back catalogue of movies, and I think though some of his movies don't always um, perform that great on the review scales, there's still a lot of fun to watch. Like, and I think a good example for me of that is a movie like like the first Transporter movie. Like, it's just a, a great fun movie. It's not gonna, you know, it's not it's not gonna be an Academy Award winner, but you know what? Not every day do you want to sit down and watch a, a three hour. Correct. Sometimes you just want to, you know, jump in the driver's seat and, and have a great time. So my three, two, one is I have I've got a few um, connections to your list. So my number three is actually going to be um, the Italian job, and that's for um, Jason's role as Handsome Rob. And I think um, just such a you know uh, not quite you know sort of a a, a super main character, but a but uh, enough of a fun character, and uh, I think Handsome Rob's a, a standout, standout actor character in the Italian Job series. Number two for me is actually Lock, Stock, and uh, Two Smoking Barrels for um, Jason Sanders' role as Bacon. And much like you, I went for number one with Snatch, and I, I really, I hesitated: is it Snatch first, or is it Lock, Stock, mm. and Smoking Barrel, or Snatch? And I think. Um, you really summed it up nicely in the fact that I think his his role as Turkish is is just top tier, and those scenes uh, that Jason Statham's in, you know, early on in that movie, you know, you can bring up on YouTube and watch this, you know, for a bit of fun, and it, it's just it's top tier banter, and I I appreciate everything about it. In fact, Snatch is a movie that I feel like it's been a little bit too long since I've watched it, so I might have to um, put that onto the. A Christmas holiday watch list, I think. So, yeah, three, two, one, Italian job, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels in Snatch. Great stuff. I look forward to whichever peak performance you give me for for the next one. But um, I guess that for 2020, I guess that that is pretty much us, right? That is definitely a, a wrap for, for Half Measures. It's been awesome having everyone with us for for the last year um hopefully you've enjoyed listening no matter what point you joined and if you joined from the the very start bless you, you you're doing god's work correct and i guess um so what 
do we get a couple of weeks off now or what, when do we next come back when are we next putting an episode out well, I think like we were saying before, you know, we may be half measures in what we talk about and what we do, but we'll never be half measures on giving you that week-to-week content. So there'll be a week, there'll be an episode every week over the, the holiday break, Paul. So oh, okay. clear your schedule. Good. Okay, that's that's good to know. Good. All right. But it has been a great year. So thanks, as Dan said, to everyone who's listened. I guess see you next week. And finally, from me, Thank you to Mission Log Podcast and Roddenberry.com for supporting this week's episode and for all their support this year and all the retweets and all the shares and all that great stuff. Thank you very much. Yeah, and so, you know, no matter where you are this holiday season, be safe, be well. You know, there's still a lot of COVID the world's dealing with, so make sure you look after yourself, make sure you're you're putting the right protections in place. But just a, a special shout-out again to our Patreon producers for one final time this year, Trisha Brady and Samara King. If you too would like to become a patron of the show, then you can do that at patreon.com forward slash half measures podcast. But until next week... Adiós.